0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.
1: Welcome to Earthwise, environment and peace with justice interviews on Plains FM 96.9, Welcome to Earthwise. I'm Lois Griffiths. For today's programme, Martin and I will be talking with Ellie Hooper, a communications specialist for the Greenpeace Aotearoa Oceans campaign.
2: It's always a pleasure to talk with Greenpeace. Lois and I admire the work they do and the campaigns they undertake. Welcome to Earthwise, Ellie Hooper.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, Ellie, it's very fitting to be interviewing Greenpeace now, isn't it? We're actually pre-recording this interview today, September 15. We'll go to air on the 20th, but what's so special for Greenpeace about September 15,
0: 2021? Uh, Well, 50 years ago, on September the 15th, 1971, um, was actually the very start of Greenpeace as we know it. um, Mm. A ships out to confront US nuclear weapons testing in Amchitka which is um in southwest Alaska um that was kind of the beginning of a movement which then spawned out to 55 countries um, and is now supported by tens of millions of of people around the world um since then we've obviously fought countless campaigns over numerous topics from ending nuclear testing to dumping of toxic waste um we've fought for antarctic centuries Um, against fossil fuels um, and lots of big polluting corporations all around the world.
1: Isn't that amazing? Just a small number of people. It was about six or eight out on a boat 50 years ago. And now it's a worldwide movement. And Greenpeace is worldwide, isn't it? I think that's one of the strengths.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a crew of 12 um, that started off. But yes, pretty incredible to think that that has now become such a global movement um, and so diverse um fighting on so many different issues. Um yeah, I mean there's lots of work still to be done, so I guess we'll still be going for a few years to
2: come. <laughs> yes, it, it, it's it's amazing the, the the Greenpeace is known for active participation, isn't it? it it's not a passive organisation, but it is very it's um by principle it's non-violent, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah it's, absolutely.
1: It's famous for taking direct action. I've seen pictures of Russell Norman, for instance, out on a boat. <laughs> but what's been happening in the South Island this year, in
0: Nelson and in Dunedin? Uh, with the fisheries campaign. Um, well, we've been running for a couple of years um, a bottom trawling campaign um, calling for an end to bottom trawling on seamounts. Um, now, what that means is seamounts are essentially um, mountains under the sea, um, kind of does says in the tin, uh, they can grow to be; they can be hundreds to thousands of meters tall, mm. and they often have these ancient corals growing on the side of them. Um, they're really important uh, biological hotspots. Lots of different kinds of wildlife use seamounts and depend on them, um, and they also form these habitats that provide the, the perfect kind of grounds for for breeding and spawning for fish. Um, the issue is that the bottom trawling industry actually targets seamounts because they know that that's where the fish like to hang out. Um, And when they fish them, bottom trawling is a really um, destructive form of fishing that involves using these massive nets that are weighted and on big rollers and steel skids. They actually bulldoze through that habitat, destroying a lot of it and a lot of these really ancient, um, rare and precious corals. Um, so our campaign has been to ban bottom trawling from those areas. They're very, very important ecologically, um, and we think that we need to protect them and absolutely outlaw that kind of destructive fishing on them. So uh, this year, uh, we've obviously been running this campaign through a few years. This year, we ran uh, a couple of, of direct actions, as you say, um, down in the South Island, Firstly, uh, we painted the side of a Tally's bottom trawling vessel with the word stop and did a little light show on the side, um, sending messages from supporters on why they wanted bottom trawling to stop in New Zealand. Um, then a few months later, we did another direct action in uh, the port of Otago, uh, where some of our activists sailed out in front of a different Tally's bottom trawling vessel um, and sent them a direct message to, to stop their activities. Um, so that's just part of the package of the work, I guess, that we do um, to try and protect the environment, to protect the ocean, protect these seamounts um, from from harm. Uh, there's is, been, sorry, go.
1: So this is often the way media operates, isn't it? They want to show. They just don't want something visible that can attract attention.
0: I think... Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of different ways to get your message across. As you say, um, nonviolent direct action, civil disobedience uh, has been Greenpeace's bread and butter um, for, for many years. We do use lots of different tactics to try and get our message across and try and win campaigns and actually get tangible outcomes uh, for the environment. So nonviolent direct action like this, it is good it's good to get the message out there it, it makes a nice picture and hopefully gets the story into the public domain um, but there's also lots of other things we do behind the scenes too um, to actually change legislation
2: can, can you tell me how big the area is that they cover are they restricted to sort of the territorial waters of the countries near which they they come from
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I know the most about the New Zealand bottom trawling industry, to be honest. Um, I mean, bottom trawling happens in lots of places around the world. Um, But what might be surprising to people is that New Zealand is actually one of a handful of countries that still bottom trawl. Internationally, hmm. So, yes, our fleet does trawl within our EEZ, um, within our territorial waters, but we also trawl in places like the South Pacific. And actually, the New Zealand fleet have been the only ones trawling in the South Pacific for the past year or so. No one else has been doing it. Um, the Australians have called us out earlier this year um, because of the destructive fishing the New Zealand fleet is doing off their coasts, on their seamounts um and that's quite embarrassing really i mean we the new zealand fleet are essentially operating what they've called the most destructive fishery in australia um and they they're calling on their things from their side basically to to stop that because they don't think that's right and i don't think a lot of us would think it's right either
2: so they they don't need internet they don't need a, a law that prevents them going out into international waters like that in remote areas they can just do it in without any permission.
0: Um, it is. So, yeah, it is kind of, um, what's the right word? So there's various fishery management organisations which make decisions um, for how those international waters will be fished. One of those is the South Pacific Regional Fisheries Management Organisation, which just rolled off the tongue. Um, but, yes, it, as part of that, New Zealand are the only ones who've been fishing in the South Pacific in that manner um, over the past year. And actually, um, interestingly, a couple of years ago, we were at that meeting, at the SPRIFMO meeting, uh, and the New Zealand delegates who were speaking on behalf of New Zealanders um, were calling for more bottom trawl fishing to happen in the region, not less, and some of the other countries that are part of that group were saying, no, actually, we should be protecting more parts of the ocean from this fishing method because it's damaging.
1: Now, Ellie, we're talking about industrial fishing, aren't we? Talking about big corporations. You mentioned Tallies. Who are mm. what is Tallies?
0: So Tallies are a New Zealand-owned commercial fishing company. Um, they have got a long history of environmental disregard. Um, they've been caught trawling in protected areas before. And they trawl in the South Pacific too. They've been doing so this year. Um, and we think that this should be stopped. So, yes, parts of our campaign have been targeted at Tallies, calling on them to stop what they're doing and stop bottom trawling on seamounts.
1: So this is a New Zealand-owned corporation, isn't it?
0: Yes, absolutely, yeah. It's headquartered in Nelson.
2: Do, do fishing products in the supermarkets have Tallies labels on them that you can boycott?
0: So um, it, they do. Sometimes it's under a subsidiary company, so it can be quite difficult to spot. Um, Tally's are a big food producer. Um, they produce fish, and I think they also do uh, vegetables and things like that. Um, a couple of years ago, we did run a campaign um, of that ilk yes. in which activists were dropping postcards um, of information, just calling on people, uh, be clued up, I guess, on what this company does to the ocean.
1: I think they also, uh, there have been campaigns in the past talking about which fish are the ones we shouldn't buy. I remember orange Ruffy being at the bottom of the list.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I mean, a lot of the species like orange Ruffy that are bottom-trawled by New Zealand we actually gets exported to other markets. So um, there's a good fish guide. I think that's published by Forest and Bird, which is really, really useful. And I mean, for people who want to, um, you know, take a look at what they're actually buying and try and make informed choices, that's great. Um, I guess from our perspective, because a lot of the fish is being exported, there's limited Um, use in kind of getting New Zealand uh, consumers to stop eating that kind of fish. We actually want to to stop it at the source. Um, So that's kind of the aim of our campaign, is to actually stop the trawling happening on Seamount to begin with.
1: It's a bit hard to picture what's happening. There should be huge boats. I think the one they targeted was called the Amalta Enterprise. Mm. And these are just huge nets that go down very deep into the water. Is that right?
0: Yeah, they're absolutely massive. And so this is the big problem with, with trawling. I mean, it's got sev- there are several problems with it, really. Um, it's got multiple environmental impacts. some of these trawl nets, I think a red can be as as big as rugby pitches. You know, they're really massive and they open up huge underwater. Um, so they're indiscriminate in what they catch. So you're not just catching orange ruffy or Oreo or whatever. You're catching anything else that happens to be in the water at that particular time. So it's incredibly wasteful and has a big impact on the rest of the food chain. Then you've got the impact on the seafloor where you're actually destroying the habitat, which has taken centuries to form. So it's not a quick fix to get that back. Um, And then thirdly, I mean, the the study that came out at the start of the year was revealed that um, bottom trawling globally actually releases more carbon than the global aviation industry, which is just really shocking oh. because carb- carbon is stored in the seabed. So, yeah, that's just yet another impact from doing that kind of fishing.
1: That's interesting news. Yeah, yeah I tend to think of fishermen just going out on a boat and throwing a cut, <laughs> getting out the rod. It's a good, big industrial kind of enterprise, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, Industrialised fishing, I think, is finally getting a little bit of the heat it deserves internationally. Uh, We really can't afford to be fishing in the way that we have been doing for the past few decades. It's not doing the ocean any good. And we're seeing report after report that the ocean is struggling. We need to be taking less from it and we need to be fishing smarter if we are going to. Um, in order to preserve the health of the ocean for the future. You know, we all depend on a healthy ocean. We need it for a healthy climate. Um, and if we keep treating it the way that we are, things aren't going to go particularly well. I've
1: just had a thought, exporting all of this fish must make it harder for local countries where they don't have such big, and, uh, such big enterprises to do their own fishing.
0: Yeah, I don't know too much about that. I think um, it is true that a lot of the technology is getting better and better and so um, more and more countries are able to go out and, and use these big deep-sea vessels. Um, but, yeah, I don't think I quite understand the question, sorry. <laughs> no,
2: just a I had. You're listening to Earthwise, broadcasting in Christchurch on Plains FM 96.9, in Hamilton on Free FM and in Waikanae on Coast Access FM. Today's guest is Ellie Hooper, Communication specialist for Greenpeace Aotearoa Oceans Campaign.
1: Well, Ellie, another important Oceans Campaign is about seabed mining. I've always mm-hmm. assumed that mining was a land-only activity, but seabed? Could you tell us more, please?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, seabed mining is uh, an emerging threat to the health of the ocean, Um in New Zealand, there has been an application to open uh, a massive seabed mine uh, off the coast of partia um, down in Taranaki, in South Taranaki Bight. Um, so far, that has been resisted by communities and environmentalists because it poses a huge risk to the ocean. Essentially, what happens during seabed mining is um, the seabed gets sucked up onto a ship and sorted and then a huge amount of sediment like 90 percent of what they've sucked up then gets uh, pushed back into the water and this creates a, a sediment plume which sort of smothers the water column um, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that that would probably interact with uh the animals and the creatures that are living there um so so far that has has not been approved and that's really great but we are still waiting on the supreme court decision as to whether we will have a giant seabed mine opening off the coast of new zealand um internationally though seabed mining or deep sea mining as it's called elsewhere is an emerging threat so in the pacific the pacific is really being seen as the frontier for this new extractive industry. Mm. Um, These companies want to um, mine very, very deep and they want to extract different kinds of metals, minerals um, which they claim they will use for the clean energy transition.
1: So we still live in a think big world. (laughs) It, um, you've mentioned the corporation Tallies about the fishing. There's not this mm. corporation for the mining, it's called Trans-Tasman Resources, is that right? Yeah, correct. And uh, is that New Zealand owned?
0: Um, I actually don't have the information on that. I would have to send you the details. Oh, that's all right. It's not my campaign, sorry. Um, but from what I understand, they are an international company, Um And a lot of these deep-sea mining companies that we're seeing in the Pacific, they're coming from the global north, they're coming from Europe, they're coming from Canada, et cetera. um, And they want to come over and exploit the Pacific Ocean um, and take things out of it. And they claim that there'll be no impact, but that seems highly unlikely given what their activities will be.
1: So we're talking about powerful corporations with lots of money behind them. Um, We did a program, I'm not sure few years ago about Taranaki I know there's been this local opposition to it for some time there's some opposition from other Pacific countries isn't there
0: yes there is and there's a growing grassroots movement um, which are resi- who are resisting um, these big companies who want to come over and exploit their seabed um, again it's not a campaign that I work directly on so I don't have the latest but I mean for instance Last week, I think it was at the um, IUCN, uh, the International Union for the Convention of Nature, um, Lots, like the vast majority of members at that meeting voted for a global moratorium on deep sea mining. So that really shows that the the narrative is shifting and people are seeing that this is actually too risky. It's too much of a risk for us to be doing this to our ocean. So we live in hope that uh, that will happen and that we, we won't see seabed mining yes, starting I, anywhere soon.
1: Yes, I read this opposition in Vanuatu and Fiji and the Northern Territory of Australia. So there is a grassroots opposition versus a powerful economic interest, isn't there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's really um, community activists who are standing up for for the ocean and for their communities. They don't want to see mining happening in the sea near them. Um, And they're standing up against these corporations that have very deep pockets from the global north. And
2: and again, they're they're, they're way out in international waters and the government seem to have no control over what they do.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or is it on
1: part, do they want to mine within New Zealand's legal, I don't know the, the details, there's a certain economic zone, isn't there? that we can protect
0: yeah absolutely um so i mean when it comes to things like fishing and things like that i mean for instance with the with the bottom trawling i mean the the government has the ability to close areas to fishing um and that's absolutely what we should be doing when it comes to the seamount campaign we want to see these seamounts Closed to bottom trawl fishing because it's simply too damaging.
1: And another campaign, I think we can all relate to. Actually, it's a, in a way, it's the responsibility of all of us what we ha- what actually gets thrown into the into the oceans. So, Greenpeace has a plastic bottles campaign. Is that right?
0: Yes, we do. Yeah, we want um, a ban on single use plastic bottles to go ahead. Um, I think it's one of the the greatest sources of plastic. Um, in New Zealand, and we could eliminate that with the right strategy. Um, one of the big problems around plastic pollution historically is that we've been recycling as the saviour, but that is not—it's uh, kind of been proven not to be true. Uh, we need to stop producing these single-use plastic box, uh, bottles at the source, so that we can prevent it from getting into our ocean and choking our marine life and um, polluting waterways.
2: It shows, doesn't it? I've noticed in the last year or two, since supermarkets stopped uh, allowing plastic to be used for their packaging at the at the checkout, it seems to have greatly reduced the amount of plastic used, and it seems to have to come from above. The governments have to do this. There's no use saying to individual customers don't use plastic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is sort of um, the issue across a lot of our campaigns, I guess. I think as individuals we can try really hard and we can make informed choices about what we choose to use, what we choose to eat. And I think especially in um, in countries where we have a lot of choice, we can do that. Not everyone can do that globally. But in order to have the fastest, most efficient change possible, we do need things to be... Um, written into legislation, we need things to be banned in order to make sure that um, we can protect the environment for the future. So it's the same as kind of when we were talking about the bottom trawl fishing thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, if you decided that you want to, to avoid fish, that's great. But it's not actually going to fix the problem in the time that we have. So we really need the government to take action on these issues. I think the
1: public is becoming more aware that um, environmental issues are extremely important. We've seen the uh, the, and the connection between the oceans and the land. What we do on land affects the quality of the oceans, and what happens in the oceans affects life on land. It's a fascinating field, isn't it, that you're in the Greenpeace Oceans Campaign. Anna, thank you for talking to us. It's a, there's so much, such an important issue.
0: And no we, worries. Thank you very much yeah. for having me. I
1: just want to say something about Greenpeace. Is it true that they don't get support from corporations? It's independent, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the great strengths of Greenpeace and, and why I personally uh, really like working for them is that we're not hamstrung by um, ties to governments or corporations. So being independent means we can literally pick the fight we want to fight. If somebody starts doing something dodgy, if a corporation starts doing something dodgy, we can call them out. Uh, We're not hindered by sponsorship or the fact that they've given us a big donation. So we're fully funded by individuals and people, um, just ordinary people who want to see change for the environment.
1: Yes, it gives you a power to be independent, but also gives the public a responsibility to support you. We've been Ourselves, Greenpeace supporters for a long time. And I think it's so important for the public to join Greenpeace. It's, I love the slogan there is no planet B. This is our planet. This is where we live. And uh, congratulations and keep up the good work. And we're behind you. Thank, Thank you, Ellie. you very much. Thanks for your support. Okay. Ellie, I'm going to finish by reading a little poem, a New Zealand poem. You might like to hear it. I think it demonstrates how much the sea life means to New Zealanders. This is written by Dennis Glover. It's called treddy. Trinity.
2: Trinity.
1: Trinity. And Th- Trinity yeah. means lament, doesn't it? In Plimbleton, in Plymbleton the little penguins play. And one dead albatross was found at Karehana Bay. In Plimbleton, in Plimbleton, the seabirds haunt the cave. And often in the summertime, the penguins ride the wave. In Plimbleton, in Plymbleton the penguins live. They say, but one dead albatross they found at Karehana Bay. They just love it.
0: Oh, that's lovely. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thank you for talking Thank to us. Thank you for talking to us.
0: Thanks yeah. very much. Okay.
1: Goodbye. Bye-bye.
0: Catch you later. Bye. Bye.